0: Well, good evening. Good to be back with you guys once again. After the events in Paris um, a fortnight ago, world leaders have been discussing what the West is going to be doing in response to this wickedness. President Hollande of France said this, France will be merciless in its response to the Islamic State, and to terrorism. As Christians, we're tempted to ask, what is God going to do about ISIS? Or more broadly, what will God do with wickedness in our world? And tonight, we're going to get an insight into this as we continue our series in Jonah. So before we dive into chapter 3, turn back with me to chapter 1. In chapter 1 verse 2, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. We see straight away that God is not morally neutral. Nineveh is described as wicked, and he knows all about it. The original language conveys that evil was right up in the face of God. It affronts him. The other thing we see that God's response to wickedness in Nineveh is with a message. He commissions Jonah to preach against it. If you've been here for the past two weeks you'll know that it hasn't been simple for Jonah to get to Nineveh. It's not been simple for that message to reach its destination. You might have expected that by Jonah 1 and verse 3, he would have arrived. But instead, it's taken us till chapter 3, where we begin tonight. But after trying to flee from God and disobeying his word, Jonah is given this second chance like all of us. God doesn't give up on him. God has pursued him and he still wants to use him. So God speaks to Jonah a second time, we're told, in chapter 3 and verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Jonah eventually arrives in Nineveh and so does God's unstoppable message. I've got three points for you this evening, and the first is all about that message. Point one is that God will judge wickedness. We see this in verse four. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh shall be overturned. This was the message that God has commissioned him to preach. It's the message that God tells him to call out against their wickedness. But why was God's judgment coming on Nineveh now? In what way were they wicked? We've already seen that Nineveh was an important city. That word important is used 14 times in this book. And it would later become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And for years, this empire had been advancing in every direction. They particularly wanted to bulldoze their way southwesterly. They wanted to open up this trade route with Egypt, we're told, through historical sources. And this meant conflict with God's people. It meant conflict with Israel. And it seems from verse 8 of our passage tonight that violence was not just a feature of their military campaigns, but that violence characterized the Assyrians. The Ninevites would stop at nothing to make their city great. But the decades before the events that we read of here, Assyria had fallen on harder times. Like the Soviet Union, for maybe some of the older folks here, entering Afghanistan, too many conflicts had left them overstretched. And they began to experience internal dissension. It seemed like things were starting to unravel for the Ninevites. There had been years of plenty through exploiting others, but it seemed that time was up. Nineveh shall be overturned, we read here. And what we see is that eventually, evil has caught up with Nineveh. It may have appeared to Israel previously that this nation were getting away with it. They were getting away with wickedness. But all along, the clock had been ticking Perhaps it seems like the orchestrators of those attacks in Paris have got away with it. Perhaps it seems like those who've hurt you throughout the years, justice will never catch up with. But listen to these words in Romans 12. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room... For God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The wrath of God will repay all wickedness. We as individuals do not need to step in to help him out. There is no room for bitterness or revenge as a Christian. And this is a promise which God gives us which actually helps us let go of bitterness because we know that justice will prevail. Of course, we're much less prone to consider the wickedness, which is far closer to us than Nineveh, far closer to us even than Paris. Psalm 10 and verse 13 asks the question, Why does the wicked man revile God? And say in his heart, he won't call me to account. I had to look up this word revile. And it means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Powerful word. Are you angry with God when things don't go your way? Do you pursue your own empire whatever cost instead of trusting God. You see, the root of wickedness is a heart that does not want God. The wicked live like God will not call us to account. And this was certainly true for the Ninevites. And God says, enough is enough. Verse 4, 40 more days, and Nineveh shall be overturned. That word overturned was used of Sodom and Gomorrah to describe the complete destruction which happened there. So our first point this evening isn't a popular one. It isn't popular to say that God will judge wickedness. It's far more politically correct to say simply that God loves everyone or that God doesn't want to interfere in how we live our lives. But God has spoken, and we need to listen to him, regardless of how popular that may seem in the 21st century. Judgment is coming to Nineveh, and it will come to us too. So moving on to our second point, how will the Ninevites respond in light of this warning that they'll be overturned? So secondly, the response. The Ninevites respond to these eight words which Jonah preaches to them. And they respond by believing that judgment would come for their wickedness. Verse 5, the people believed God. They recognized that they would be called to account for their wickedness. And for how they'd rejected God. Now, in the disaster that was coming, their agenda changed. They realized that none of the things they were building their life upon would last. I wonder if we knew that God would visit Northwich tomorrow, what would we do tonight? Would anything change? Or would you keep on going and not recognize that that day will one day come? Verse 5 acts as a bit of a headline for what will come. What follows? All of them recognize what was coming, so they fast and put on sackcloth. Now, both of these things might seem a bit strange to us, especially the sackcloth, but both these things were signs of mourning. They didn't mourn um, because someone had died. They mourned because of the way that they'd lived. Judgment was on its way and they begin to reflect that they've lived with no reference all their lives to God. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9 says that godly sorrow brings repentance. And I think that gives us an idea of what's going on here. The Ninevites believe and they mourn with sorrow. They're not just sorry for their wickedness, but they begin to move towards repentance. And from verse six, we start to see this more clearly. Verse six, six to nine, our attention is drawn to one man, the king of Nineveh. And he gives us even clearer picture of the extraordinary response. To Jonah's message. So the king also begins to mourn. In fact, he rises up off his throne and he sits down in ashes. He discards his throne as if to say, God, you're in charge and not me. And then look how he uses his influence. Verse 8. He issues a decree to say, let every man and beast, that's everyone, be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call out urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways. The king understands this need to turn away from evil. That's repentance. The king also understands the need to turn to God. God is the only one who can save them now. He's the one who's threatened to overturn them. And he's the only one they can run to for refuge. So unlike Jonah here, of course, who fled away from God, we see that the king's response is to flee to God. They cry out to God. That's faith. They they don't just turn away from wickedness. That in itself would be useless. But instead, they also begin to trust God. And Our distrust in God points right at the heart of our sin. It points to the fact that sin is primarily a broken relationship with God, the God that we're designed to know and to love and to trust. Notice though that the Ninevites had a weak faith. Verse 9, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from fierce anger so that we will not perish. The king doesn't know that God will hear their cry for help. But it was all he had to hope in. And the Ninevites aren't unique here. Everyone who will be saved must believe, repent and have faith in God for compassion. And If you're delaying from conversion until all these loose ends are tied up, then see like the King. See the urgency of the situation. It's okay to to throw yourself on God while while still having um, questions by not having all all the answers that you might want. But I just encourage you that you can work out those questions, work out those answers. Once you're in safety with him, but don't delay in coming to him. And what if you're a believer? Do we continue in repentance and faith? Do you confine these things to the start uh, of your life as a Christian, or do we continue? Each day, do we have this sorrow in our hearts each time we sin? Are we genuinely repenting when we see wickedness in our lives? Does it, does it cut us? Does it bother us anymore? Or have we just got used to it as we drift through our lives as Christians? Well, as well as repentance, each day we need faith in Christ to provide all that we need, trusting him in every situation. Another thing we see is, are we like the king who models repentance and faith to others? Or would you prefer to keep on pretending that you're perfect? (laughs) I think the king teaches us that what it means to be exemplary as Christians, isn't necessarily to be perfect. It's realizing that we're not perfect and trusting God. The Lord is the one that delivered you and he continues to transform us when we continue in repentance and faith. You See, being a Christian isn't primarily about presenting this image to our work colleagues or our family, that we've got everything sorted, is primarily about this attitude of repentance and faith. And that's the opposite, isn't it, of pretending that we're perfect. What I need to do is to show my non-Christian friends that being a Christian is about this repentance and faith. I'm, I'm not a parent, but surely that's what we need to model to our, to our children. So many people are confused about what Christianity is because of Christians. So firstly, we see that God's judgment on wickedness. And secondly, we see the Ninevites' response to cry out urgently to God in repentance and faith. And finally, we see God's response to their cry for help. We'll see something else of his character, that God has compassion to those who trust him. Come with me to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he'd threatened. Nineveh had been saved Salvation had come. And we learn here that the Lord is compassionate to anyone who repents and trusts in him. Even this wicked city outside of Israel. So instead of overthrowing Nineveh, as he had every right to do, he is merciful. He had compassion and they're not overturned. Remember those words of the French president we will be merciless. If the character of God was like that, there would be no hope for Nineveh. And there'd be no hope for us. Until this point in history, there'd never been a revival on this scale outside of Israel. A few had come to believe in in the Lord. You may think of Rahab or Ruth. But this was compassion on a completely different scale. Never before has compassion like this been seen. And whilst we might nod at that with a bit of approval. "Ah, You know, good for you God. Making a bit of progress here. This would have met a very different reaction amongst the Jewish readers of this book. They would have been utterly incensed. It was a shocking demonstration of compassion in the midst of wickedness. And one of the purposes of this book is to highlight to Israel that God's compassion was shocking. It was undeserved, unmerited favor to all those who trust the Lord 800 years after this event, there was an event of even more shocking demonstration of how compassionate God would be, of how God would act towards wickedness. In his son Jesus, God drew near to enter this world of wickedness. He experienced wickedness firsthand. He experienced pain, neglect, bereavement, tragedy, Betrayal, Jesus appeared to rescue us from all wickedness and to save us for himself. Listen to the words of Titus 2 from verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do. What is good? The grace of God was seen in Nineveh. In a very real way, they experienced it. But God's grace and God's character have appeared to us even more fully through Jesus. The reason we can turn and trust Him is because He's appeared. He has given Himself to redeem us from wickedness. Jesus is our God and our Savior, and he's the one who paid the price. If we have repented and have faith in him, he has redeemed us from judgment that we deserve. He took all the judgment for the wickedness of Nineveh and all the judgment for God's people ever since. Surely our response to God will be to repent and trust like the Ninevites. Yet we can be so more confident because God has appeared and revealed that he is more compassionate than we could ever imagine. The Ninevites could only hope that God would be compassionate. Remember those words of the king? Perhaps God will relent and not do this. But we know that Jesus has saved those who turn to Him. We have complete assurance that the coming judgment was satisfied on the cross. Again, the Ninevites call out to a foreign God to save them from perishing. But we believe in a loving Father. A Father who sent His Son to offer life with Him. Jesus is the one who will appear a second time, and we will go to be with him forever. Salvation is not a get out of hell free card, it's far more than that. It's a relationship with God, it's complete restoration with our great God and Saviour for eternity. So, what do we take from Jonah 3? God is more compassionate to those who call out to Him than we could ever imagine. That through repentance and faith in Jesus, whether for the first or the millionth time, our lives will be preserved from judgment. What a great God and Savior we have in Jesus. Let's call out to Him now in prayer. Father, we want to thank you that your compassion is far greater than we could ever ask or imagine. That as as bad as we could be, as wicked as we could become, your grace and your compassion extend to us. Thank you for the way that you don't just work through... um, The people of Israel, but you've stretched out to include people like us that you're our great God and our great Saviour. We want to come to you in repentance. We want to come to you in faith. We're sorry for the things that we've done, but we know that through Jesus. we can come back to this relationship with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to trust him. In his name we ask. Amen. Well, in light of this, we can sing our final song knowing that the return of Jesus is good news. Um. As the music starts, um, you can stand and we're going to sing. Great is the darkness that covers the earth. Oppression, injustice and pain. Nations are slipping in hopeless despair. Through many, though many, have come in his name. Watching while sanity dies. Touched by the madness and lies. Next slide. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on us. We pray. That's our 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 anthem as we leave this place this evening. That we can look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. We don't need um, to worry if we've put our trust in Him, if we've repented of the things that we've done of our wickedness in our hearts, we can rejoice at the coming of Jesus. So let's sing together.